Welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show, where we help healthcare practitioners in private practice keep true to their purpose and build a life of mastery by providing the knowledge, skills, and tools to bring their dreams to life. In this episode, we speak to Cynthia Partier, an educational psychologist based in South Africa, about her private practice and everything private practice management related. Cynthia Partier, welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, and um, yeah, I was just definitely looking forward to to having this uh, this chat with you. How are you doing? Thanks, Oliver. I'm well. I'm taking it one day at a time um, okay. with the current lockdown, but I'm all good. How are things on your side? Good. Yeah. The whole um, political and economic and social aspects are, are pretty weird at the moment uh, with COVID-19, but doing good otherwise. So I think to start off with this discussion, because obviously I want to respect your time as well, um, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, things like where you grew up, um, why you chose to be, be the practitioner that you are currently. Okay, well, um, my childhood was spent in Durban. So um, up until the age of about 15 or so, I grew up in Durban. Um, my family then decided we're going to immigrate to Australia. Okay. And we landed in Johannesburg. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good detour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't know how we got there. Things didn't quite work out with the immigration process. And so I've been in Johannesburg now um, since I was 15, over 10 years now. Um, Why I decided to become an educational psychologist is a very interesting question. Because I don't feel like I chose to be kept, to become one. Um, I feel like the profession kind of found me and chose me. Um, I was a bit of a lost student. Um, so moving to Johannesburg, we didn't move to the city. We moved to the rural part of or the outskirts of Johannesburg. Um, so in terms of resources at school, we didn't get much career guidance, um, help with applications, things like that. So I actually to study (laughs) and uh, my parents said no you have to study Um, and I'm so grateful that they did because that's where I found where my passion lies and what I really want to do that's amazing yeah so first year I was actually registered for a BCom with law and in the first two weeks you're allowed to change courses so I did a career assessment and they said you know maybe something in the humanities field so I said okay Idea what that is go for it I chose really random subjects so I did things like film and television I did psychology I did law I did comics and from there I just found myself getting more and more interested in psychology and I wanted more and more and I went from undergrad wanting to pursue honors wanting to pursue masters um yeah so that's how I found myself there and I have no regrets Okay, that's amazing. Uh, so I know colleagues that, that were in the same boat. Well, you know, especially people growing up in school. And uh, for me, it was actually very simple. It was always, you know, it had to be something related to computers. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I think the only struggle I had was when I got to varsity, I didn't realize there's actually two streams. So there's the computer science side and there's the information systems. Um, and I didn't realize, you know, like, um, but when they explained it to me, it was, Okay, information systems is more about business and computer science is where you, you actually code stuff and do the technical stuff. And for me, that was quite clear, you know, that I wanted to do that. Um, and um, yeah, and then I ended up doing the business side anyway. So that 
that worked out really well from a you know degree point of view. But uh, actually, yeah, I like that that part that you did take because it almost like opened up avenues for you that um, you know you wouldn't have known before that. And the choice that you made is actually you know the one that you wanted, which is actually quite cool. Yeah, so everything kind of worked out in the end, which I'm grateful for. Mm. So you got your first taste of career guidance and career assessments at that time as well? I did. I did. Okay. That's quite a nice turn of events as well. Yes, it's come full circle. Mm. Um, And then if we just move on and just talk about the current setup of your private practice, uh, things like where it is, um, what type of clients you work with, how do clients make a booking, stuff like that. Okay, so I'm currently based in Four Ways, um, 55A Albatross Street, uh, very close to Four Ways High. Um, And clients can find me um, on my website, so cynthiapartia.com. This is where they can get more information about what services I offer. They can also make a booking directly from the website. Or there is a number that they could call if they wanted to find out more or just um, chat to someone about what their concerns are and how they can get assistance. They can also email me. My email address is on the website as well. Brilliant. Um, I normally cover that at the end, but I'll definitely include all of those details in the show notes as well so that if if anyone does want to contact you, um, they can do so. But I like the fact that you mentioned your website because that should have all of the relevant information on there. If I look at the areas of interest in your private practice, um, who do you currently work with? And um, is there any particular reason that you actually work with those types of interest or or those type of patients? Mm. So I work with um, kids and adolescents and young adults mainly. So I would say age range uh, 3 to 22. So, uh, and I enjoy working with young people. Um, I love the energy that they bring. Um, I also love the fact that you can make a difference early on in a person's life and watch them grow, um, you know, as they get older and seeing them achieve the things that they they can. I also know from personal experience that, you know, I've had some challenges in school myself. Um, mm. And that's what also drew me to psychology, the fact that, you know, if you're sick or if you have an injury, it's something you can see. If you're struggling with something internally, um, it's really, really difficult. And there's not a lot of people that you who might understand what, what you're going through and how to support you. I like that. Um, I was speaking to another client recently and she concentrates more you know, from a working um, from an employee point of view and assisting them. And I think the, the amazing thing about uh, life as we have it right now is we're finding all of these support structures. And I think you, one of those critical ones in terms of guiding um, young people in that, in that way. And I don't think, well, definitely where I grew up, um, we never had that type of support structure. I mean, if you were struggling in school, hopefully I was, you know, thankfully I wasn't too much, but um, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't any people that you could speak to. I mean, your parents just said, you know, you just need to do your work. And that was as simple as that was. Um, But there was no one to kind of help you through those processes. I'm not sure if that was similar in in your scenario. 
Definitely. I think um, what we know today and what um, our parents and educators knew maybe back then has also changed quite a lot. Um, and thankfully that the support is now growing and becoming more inclusive. Um, so I definitely I'm excited to be part of that, that system and that new development in education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also have a soft spot for working with learners with uh, special needs or learning difficulties. Uh, love. Um, I can't tell you why. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I enjoy the assessment part of that as well because I love problem solving. I love mm-hmm. finding out what could possibly um, be causing abians. How can we support and how could we address those issues? Okay. I, I like that. I think definitely the world and, you know, young people need more people like you. Um, and I think we're fortunate, you know, we're both based in Johannesburg. We're fortunate in Johannesburg. There definitely, definitely seems to be practitioners that are geared for that. And even the schools have a dedicated people um, or dedicated practitioners that assist the, you know, the learners with that. So, yeah, I think well done for picking a career where you know there's going to be a positive difference in terms of what you do. Thanks, Oliver. Cool. So if we move on to, I mean, I, know, and I don't think we covered it so, so far, but how long have you been in private practice? So I'm relatively new. Um, I'm in my second year, a few months into my second year of private practice. Okay. Um, can you, because, I mean, from a, from a practitioner in private practice perspective, it's quite, um, it's quite interesting hearing the response to this type of question, but can you talk about some of the early challenges you faced in private practice? Hmm. Um, for me, I think it was just a startup generally, um, you know, how to get around starting up something that seems huge you know um when you're not in it it does it seems like a quite a daunting task um and also building how are you going to get your clientele how are you going to build up your private practice um those are some of the things i think were but challenging for me okay yeah and um i mean to be honest i mean across all clients they seem to you know it's it's a similar thing and i think it's with any businesses as well. I mean, the, you know, the first five years are the most difficult. Um, any, any person in business would normally tell you that. So always when we speak to practitioners and, you know, if it's under five years or under at least under three years, it's, um, you know, it's kind of normal. It's just going through the process, finding your, your sweet spot and, you know, kind of go. And, you know, so someone told me recently as well, you know, that she gets lots of referrals. Um, and um, the, pro- the thing with referrals is you never get ref- enough referrals if you don't have enough clients. And you only get that with the years that you're in private practice. So it's mm-hmm. a natural progression in terms of that. Exactly, exactly. And also kind of making a name for yourself, building your reputation um, in that space. Um, if we look at some of the current challenges, this might be very similar since you know, you're fairly new in private practice. Um, but are there any other challenges that you currently see? Um, not at the moment. Um, I think it will still be uh, that building up the clientele for now. Um, yeah, so we'll see what the future holds and maybe we could 
add on in the future. Okay, amazing. Um, and if we look at some of the things that you'd like to to be changed in your private practice, I think you might have alluded, alluded to that in terms of maybe a, a much more busier practice and maybe having your name out there a lot more. Uh, is there anything over and above that? Um, nothing over and above that for now. Okay. I think in time, um, you know, seeing seeing the type of um, cases and building up those cases um, and making a name in terms of um, a specialization, mm. but all in due time. Mm. I don't think I, I covered this enough and, you know, my apologies for that. But if I go back to, you know, what you mentioned, the assistance that you got from a guidance point of view, and I know, I mean, your, your practice is on the therapy side. So people, you know, uh, patients can, can choose to see you for individual therapy. But there's also the assessment part, which I've always found quite interesting because I see these huge words and, you know, I never know exactly where it fits in or what it does. Uh, I just know it takes a long time. Um, and, uh, but can you just describe that a little bit? Uh, because I'm, I'm, especially with two kids of our own, it's interesting to know how you use assessments to guide their, their growth part right now. And the, the, the part that they choose as they go into, to university and further. Mm. Is there a particular assessment that you'd like me to focus on? Um, so if someone was in school, so, you know, our daughter is in um, grade six at the moment, is there anything that, you know, at, at what stage would I as a parent start looking at, okay, there's an assessment that I need to almost consider for her? Okay. So there are quite a few different assessments. Um, and th based on the reason for referral, you'll see which one would be more suited um, for the child, for the client. Um, at a grade six level, if there are concerns academically, um, behaviorally from the teacher and from the parents, um, most of the time it, it, the referral does come from the teacher um, and they just want to understand what's going on and again, how um, the child can be better supported, whether it's on an emotional level or on an academic level. That's what an assessment is going to do. So it looks at the child holistically. So you'll do um, tests or assessments based on um, the intellectual potential or capacity of the child. Um, is there something in that regard that we need to look at? Or is everything fine there? Emotionally, is everything um, okay? Um, or are there some difficulties that we're picking up? as well as scholastically. So you'd find that if a child has a learning disability, they might, um, the results for the intellectual assessment would come out fine, but your um, academic, your scholastic assessments, um, there would be some difficulties there. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. <laughs> no, 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 it, it is, it is. Uh, I mean, like, as you were speaking, I was, I was just thinking, I, I, we actually did do an assessment. I mean, I, I remember we, when we were in grade eight, well, we didn't call it grades, we had standards, but like standard six, and we did an IQ test and, you know, the teacher administered, it was the teacher, yeah, maybe it was her, maybe she was studying psychology, you know, <laughs> part-time part or something, but she got us all to do this IQ test and we got... The results, but we didn't know what it did. And um, you know, she just said, you know, you under, um, you know, are you underperforming or you're overperforming? Uh, 
So, and that's, uh, you know, that's as far as it ended. But if I go back to the, you know, the idea with, um, you know, with our daughter, I mean, she's, you know, she's got various strengths. And what's interesting for me is that, you know, how, 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 would, how does she choose each one of those strengths and, be, you know, make that into a career? And I find there's not enough work that's done on that level in terms of guiding. And, um, you know, or maybe I just missed it, but, um, you know, I've never seen it. And uh, so it's interesting to have people like yourself in terms of, you know, choosing that. So at some stage, would she do like a strengths analysis and then based on that, be able to, to choose subjects? Mm. So normally that starts at a grade nine level um, and they have to choose their subjects for, for grade 10 to matric. Okay. So from there, if it was um, a struggle, so if um, your daughter didn't know what she would like to choose or where she would like to go, some people know, some people really struggle, um, then um, an assessment might be helpful because then you would look at aptitude. So is she more of a numbers person or a language person, for example? Um, and then what are her her interests? So what are the things that... She really, even in her spare time, she'll read about it. She'll watch TV programs to do that. Um, and from there, we can start giving students guidance based on the grade 10 subjects already. Because if I'm interested in becoming a doctor or an engineer and I don't, I'm limiting myself already. And that dream then is not really realistic anymore. Mm. Um, so in early age is quite good from the grade nine level I would say because that's when your career journey actually starts because what subjects you choose can either open doors for you or close doors for you Mm. that's that's actually very very important I mean to note and um, you know just think of again going back to the university days and you know, there were certain, you know, you either went into social sciences or commerce or science or engineering. And lots of those things were already done for you based on on the subjects that you had in matric and, the you know, the, the results you got. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's actually very, very interesting. Do you find that it's common practice that the parents uh, take their kids through that process? Or is it or is it kind of at the discretion of the of the child or the teacher at that point? Yeah, it's normal for students to change careers um, in their first year um, and maybe even in their second year. But if it becomes a pattern, then it's going to become distressing for that individual. Mm, agreed. Um, yeah, definitely. And and especially if you look at some of the, the length of time that you need to study for some of the disciplines, um, you know, for an engineer, four years, you know, for a doctor, at least five or six years. If you're not sure what that is, I think it's going to definitely add a lot more time um, and stress, you know, to your life. Mm. Well, psychologists, seven years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely take off my hat to psychologists because, wow, that's a lot of time uh, that you need to spend. And you really need to know that this is what, you know, you want to do. And, you know, this mm. is the, you know, this is your calling. Um and to to my knowledge, the first time that you have actually figured that out is after you've actually studied and you're now in the the clinical or the therapeutic setting. 
and you working with clients. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. Yes. So you need you definitely need that clarity in some form or fashion. Definitely, definitely. Because unfortunately you don't get practical experience until masters yeah or level. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um okay. sorry, you were just finishing up? Um, I was just gonna say you might think that it's something that you'd like to do, and then once you start the practical part of it, change your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's true. So just changing directions for a bit. Um, so if I am to consider someone that uh, is considering choosing to become an educational psychologist and mm-hmm. um, secondly, choosing to go into private practice, is this something that would be your recommendation or what would you tell that person or how would you guide them in, in the best way? Okay. I would definitely recommend it. I think it's a wonderful and rewarding profession. Um, like you said, it has a positive impact on, on our youth. Um, I would say do as much research as you can. So not only research on online, but or try and find practitioners that you can speak to and maybe have informational interviews with them, asking about various, um, what does a day in your work like? What are the most challenging parts of your work? What are the most rewarding parts of your work? Um, I would also say to try and get as much practical experience as possible. Even if you are in your undergrad year and you're not allowed to see clients, but try and volunteer. There are so many... Um, Places where you can do this, uh, things like SAGDA, where they train in Kilifani, Lifeline, for example, um, Tears Foundation and our academy. If you want to work with kids, um, yeah, try and get that experience for yourself, or pay, um, maybe work for a, a practitioner. Out if you could maybe do some admin-related work. Mm-hmm. And, more exposure to how what a private practice looks like. Uh, I would also advise them to go through their own therapeutic process because it's important to believe in, in your product. And if we think about therapy as a product, um, it's not something you can um, advocate for if you haven't had the experience of it. So that's quite important. And as a psychologist, in your master's, it's, it's a requirement to go your own therapy. So it would be as soon as you can. Um, maybe go for your own career assessment because that's learning about your strengths, learning about your weaknesses, and just understanding yourself better so that think, you can make an informed decision. Yeah, I think you brought out so many good points there. Um, I think the one, you know, the one that, that stands out is is getting the experience, maybe not even, you know, not from a therapy perspective, but just around the practice. And I think the idea of, um, you know, even becoming a receptionist for a short time, you know, over a vacation work, uh, you know, vacation period or so, I mean, that's a brilliant suggestion. I think the other point of, of almost like, um, you know, like looking at yourself internally from it, you know, and, and, and looking at therapy, I think that's, that's quite a key one. On that point, do you find that that more people are becoming aware of it? I mean, if I look at the the seventies or the eighties or anything like that, I mean, you know, 
almost no one would have said, you know, I'm going to go see a psychologist to improve myself or get better. Do you find that that's a growing trend? I think so. And um, I really hope it continues. I think that we are slowly breaking down the stigma of psychology and um, therapy as a whole, you know, Um, and taking it for what it is, support, you know, helping people through um, various challenges that they personally have. yeah. <laughs> okay. I, you know, the way I create that as well is when I put the business hat on, I always think, you know, you need so many people. And even in, in business, I mean, people don't completely believe this, but you need a coach that shows you the way it should be. And it's very difficult when you're spinning in, in your own little bubble, um, you know, to figure that stuff out. And that's the part I like about psychology is it's that outside view to tell you probably what you knew already, but it's just to guide you in the right direction. Um, I know when, when we used to do, when I used to do programming, and sometimes you know the answer and it's staring at you right there, but you call a buddy just to have a look at this for you and he points you. It's like, okay, you just missed that out. And I think that's what psychology should be for most people. Um, and yeah, so, you know, exactly what you said, you know, hopefully the trend continues and hopefully it kind of permeate, permeate, hopefully permeates all aspects of employees and business owners and, um, as you said, other practitioners. Mm, I hope so. Um, also changing a little bit more in terms of direction, was there any role models that inspired you growing up? Um, it doesn't have to be related to you know, what, why you chose to become an educational psychologist, but is there anything that springs to mind? Um, yes, I would say my parents. Um, so my mom always had the most amazing work, work ethic. Um, and I probably didn't understand it when I was younger, but I, I see it now and I, it's something that I admire about still to this day. Um, my dad, my dad has always been an entrepreneur at heart. So um, definitely that's something I look to um, and something that I thought, so taking a BCom, I really thought I was going to, my idea around it was I was going to have my own business. It was going to be a salon slash cafe <laughs> slash bookshop slash, <laughs> but I think for me, it at least you're in the right part. Yes. <laughs> getting there, getting there. Um, so I, I, I just admire the, the creativity that he had because I think entrepreneurship is also a lot about creativity, uh, creative thinking, you know. Mm. How can I do things fill this gap? So, yeah, I would have to say my parents. Okay, that's, that's amazing. It's also, I mean, like, it's, uh, I think you're very fortunate to then grow up in an environment that was conducive to that. Um, because, you know, the strong families result in strong people. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, I really like that. I think uh, we almost close to the end. I, I do want to respect your time. And I do want to ask, obviously, this is a little bit more, um, um, this is obviously a little bit more selfish from my side. But um, in terms of, of the Kitchen Isoforge product, um, how did you hear about it? And what made you choose to use it? Um, so I heard about it when I went to an impact learning conference. 
um, there was a presentation there. Um, and it just, it sounded amazing. It sounded like all the things that I feared about private practice, things like tax, things like marketing, um, invoicing. I, I don't know how to do half of that stuff. Mm. Um, and it's something that is provided for in our training. You know, there's no business component or business module that we get. So it allowed me to feel a whole lot more comfortable about the business side of the practice. Um, and I'm really glad that I took it. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much for that. Um, I think in terms of healthcare practitioners, you know, it's our experience that exactly what you said, when, whenever you start thinking about private practice, there's so many different functions that you probably have to put hats on. And, uh, you know, you've already said it so many times in terms of what you love doing. And I find all of those other aspects, it just makes it so much more difficult in terms of doing. And I think the more assistance you can get with that, uh, we always tell clients, you know, even if you didn't choose the Isoforge product, as long as you weren't the one that's doing it on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock, you know, um, that's cool. You know, just get someone else to do it or, or figure out a model that you can do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to have you on as client. I'm really interested and um, to see how your practice kind of develops over the next year and beyond and uh, seeing what a difference we can you know, we can make in that. Um, and then I think just to close it off, um, is there anything else that you would like to tell us about your practice? I mean, maybe just close off with um, what type, you know, how many minute sessions do you do for your current clients? What are the assessments that you do offer? Uh, we'll put all of that information on the, in the show notes. And obviously you've already mentioned your website. Just mention that one more time for us and we'll close it up. Okay, great. Um, so I currently offer 45-minute sessions for uh, kiddies, uh, adolescents, and young adults. I also offer various assessments from um, educational, school readiness, neuropsychological assessments, career assessments. I think I've got all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find out more on my website, which is cynthiapartia.com. Okay, perfect. I'm really glad we did this and I'm really glad um, yeah, we got to speak about your private practice. Um, thank you very much for that. Thanks so much for having me. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.